I like that as the more and more we've been shaking hands before we uh, get into the message, the longer it's been in between, which is really nice as we keep getting a little bit closer, keep saying hello to a few more people uh, each time before we do this. You know, like I've said a few times today, as we're drawing closer to Christmas, we're continuing this Sunday with the church season of Advent. Advent, that Latin word meaning coming or arrival. For us specifically, Advent has two focuses. We, spell, we celebrate the coming of our Lord Jesus, born a child and yet a king, the one who has been born to us and for us, and we celebrate his arrival, his coming this Christmas season. The second calls for us to look ahead in hope during this season of Advent to the second coming of Jesus when he shall come at last to judge between the living and the dead and to take us to be with him and all who have gone before us into heaven. And so our Old Testament text this morning and really all of Advent season as we've been working through this comes to us from Isaiah. We're going to look at it again, this time Isaiah chapter 35. So if you got your Bibles out on this rainy morning, you braved the ability for them to get rain on them. Maybe you had them stuck under your shirt or under your jacket or maybe even under an umbrella. If you're really crazy, you brought those. But if you didn't, don't worry. It'll be on the screens behind us. Otherwise, uh, you can also follow along in your bulletin. But we're looking at how this is pointing us to Jesus today and... Um, I think we started to do this last week, and let's try it again. We're, we're going to pray before we get into God's word and ask uh, just for him to be with us. You ready? Lord, we pray that through this time in your word, we would have a, um, a more intimate knowledge of Jesus so that we would love him more and that we would follow him cl- more closely. Lord, as we spend time in your word, whether it's here during service or at home in our devotions, let our hearts Find peace as we become aware of your gaze upon us, as you look at us in love. Open our hearts to your word, Lord Jesus, as you speak to us. Amen. I love our text today. Actually, I love a lot of Isaiah. It's just so poetic, so good, like we've talked about. But today, our text confronts the very fears of life with a promise from God. And this is... Isaiah chapter 35. It's only 10 verses. I'm going to do a whole chapter today. Can you believe it? That'll be great. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus that will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing, everlasting joy will crown their heads, gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. As we read the book of Isaiah, we see that the main enemy of Judah is the nation of Assyria. 
Now, Assyria was the world power at that time, and Isaiah has been calling on the people continually to turn their trust and hearts to the Lord for deliverance from Assyria's hand. Assyria has been attacking Judah, surrounding Jerusalem, yet the people still refuse to trust in the Lord. But what's unusual about this section of Scripture, what's unusual about Isaiah when it comes to chapters 34 and 35, what we're looking at today, is that for the first time, the name Assyria is not given, but the name Edom. Now, this is unusual because, like I said, Edom's not been the problem in this book, yet Edom, not Assyria in chapter 34, is the one that will bring destruction, that God is going to bring destruction to. See, the call for Edom's fall is this powerful image by God because while Edom was one nation, Edom really was the symbol for all the enemies of God's people. Historically, Edom has always been an enemy of Israel. In fact, only one of their kings was able to conquer them, and that was King David. But that changed, of course, as soon as he passed and Solomon took the throne. Kind of interesting to think that Jesus being the descendant of David, that sprout that comes out from the dead stump directly related to David, the only one who was able to conquer this Edom, this metaphor for all of the enemies of the people of God. But again, that's a sermon for another time. This is chapter 35, not 34. What am I doing? What I'm doing here is that Isaiah is not suddenly swapping enemies from Assyria to Edom. Rather, by saying the name Edom, he's declaring that God is going to bring destruction against all those who stand against God and all those who have turned away from God, including Israel itself, who has chosen to trust in man rather than in God. And yet even though Israel's eyes are blind, even though Israel has closed their ears, even though Israel, surrounded by Assyria, has hearts that are afraid and are wringing their hands and shaking their knees because of this doom, God speaks to them this promise. In verse 1, the desert, the parched land, the wilderness will be glad, will rejoice. Glory will return. Splendor will return. The promise of God stands in contrast to the fear and to the current predicament of the Israelites. What was desert and parched will be glad and full of life. The wilderness will rejoice. Now, if you think about the Old Testament and the Israelites, that wilderness has many meanings for Israel. The wilderness is a place of flight and of freedom. It's where they ran away. It's populated by deadly animals, though. The water there was scarce. Crops don't grow in the wilderness. It's dangerous. It's very wide. It's easy to get lost in the wilderness. If you remember, the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And now, many years later, they find themselves surrounded by it. Looking around, they see the destruction, the wilderness. All they know is despair because they have turned away from God. They have continually been hoping in treaties and the power of man to deliver them. They may be out of the real wilderness, but figuratively, not much has changed for them. So why does God deliver them a promise? A promise for what is to come. A promise that's not for what their eyes can see, a promise not for what they deserve, but a promise that he gives at his mercy. 
See, he gives them this promise to restore creation, to restore his children, to restore their land. They don't have it yet in their current living situation. These exiles have lost everything. They lost the temple, the land, the sovereignty, their homes, their loved ones. They have been experiencing the horrors and the tragedies and the pain and desolation of war. And now God is giving them a promise of returning splendor and making the land right? You know, we read this today, too. And we might look at our land. And Paul knew this. He might look at his land in Rome. The Israelites scattered to the ends of the earth, living in a nice city like Rome, the height of power, prosperity. And God calls it wilderness. And very interestingly, if you remember Romans 8, Paul says something about the land that we live in. He says that creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Creation, the land, the planet is waiting for the time when God's children will come. Because the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. The whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. All of creation is waiting like a parched land, like a desert, wanting to be returned to how it was. We get so focused and caught up on ourselves sometimes that we forget that when we sinned, when we fell short of the glory of God, the consequences came to the land as well. The land that we were called to be stewards of. When we messed up, everything suffered. And to be clear, we were never supposed to worship this earth or its creatures, but we were supposed to care for it because it was given to us by God himself. Seems like we have work to do, but we also have hope because for as bad as the land is, this promise is showing that at the end, when Christ returns, God is going to restore the, eco the ecology of the world. And interestingly enough, all of creation, the trees, the birds, the bees, everyone is waiting for this transformation to come. See, Advent is not just for us, but it's for the entire planet. It's for all. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Christ Jesus who calls us to care for it in the waiting. And in the waiting, is it any wonder that the people struggle? Isaiah moves from creation, from the land, to the person. Verses 3 here say, Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come, he will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, he will come to save you. For the first living ones who heard this promise, all they knew was despair. Everything had been taken from them. And the prophet, knowing this, describes the, the, the manifestation of their suffering by weak hands, feeble knees, fearful heart, 
the inability to see, hindered hearing, broken bodies, and silent tongues. Because of what has happened to the land, because of what has happened to them, Isaiah says that we are overwhelmed by despair and weariness. Weariness because how much can a person take? Despair because it looks so bad everywhere they look. Sorrow that you can feel in your body. And as you enter into this text personally, as you open your heart to God's word, and you realize that maybe this speaks to us as well, not just to some Israelites living in the time of the prophet of Isaiah. Maybe you too have felt that sorrow and despair that you can feel in your body, in your soul, the suffocating fear and exhaustion. And the question I ask is, what's your Assyria? What's causing you to experience brokenness? To experience suffering, to lose daily battles to sin, to struggle with addictions? What's causing you to worry, to be anxious, to be exhausted? Maybe it's not what's your Assyria, but how many Assyrias you got right now? that surround you and turn your life and home into a desert, into a wilderness. Because it's all too easy in the wilderness to become overwhelmed and afraid. But if we spend some time thinking back, wasn't it in the wilderness where the people of Israel were fed by God? Wasn't it in the wilderness where the people of God were given water? Wasn't it in the wilderness where God himself carried his people and lifted them up, guarded them, and cared for them? See, wherever there is wilderness, there will always be the promise of God. And the promise is very clear. He will save you. Your God has come to you in Jesus, has come to save you. His spirit comes, his heart to your heart, to the very deepest parts. He sees you and restores you. Weak hands, let the ones that were pierced take your hands and make them strong. If your knees are shaking and you don't know how much longer you can stand, then surrender and fall to your knees in prayer. This text isn't about optimism or wishful thinking. This is the assured confidence that in the promise of your God who has redeemed you, who has called you by name, will be your start and your end. He will restore everything. And along the way will bring to you his peace and hope. He did it on the cross, and he will now do it every day again and again and again. The promise here keeps going. It says, waters will gush, gush forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert, burning sand will become a pool, thirsty ground, bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus now go. 
There is not a more refreshing or beautiful promise to people who are stuck in the desert than water is. And it's overflowing here. Isaiah says that that wilderness desert will become running with water, reminding them of creation, redemption, provision. Water bubbling and gushing forth until every place is like a marsh and is no longer dead. But in the beauty of being parched and now completely surrounded by water, he says there's still one more miracle to come because the wetland, the restored land is not really the home. Look at the road home. Here's the miracle in verse 8. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness for those who walk on that way, not for the unclean, no lion will be there. Think about 1 Peter, who describes Satan as a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He will have no power over you on the way. Because the Lord has come to rescue you, to bring you home. You will enter into the, the, the Zion, enter heaven, singing with an everlasting joy crowned upon your head. Because there in the place, your place of wilderness will be a raised road. God himself will pick your pieces up and make you whole. God himself and promises that he will cut through the wilderness and the parched places and makes a way to your heart so that you can have a way to the Father. When Jesus calls himself the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, he's not talking about the way that you're supposed to live or one choice that you could make between a thousand others. He's talking about the way to God himself and describes himself as the one who walks before us and makes the way so that you may have peace with the Father, may have a way home. We come to God barren, dry, blind, deaf, weak, crippled, whether by sin or by our circumstances that have happened to us. But the miraculous power of Jesus is that he comes to change you and heal you and provide for you, lavish his mercy upon you and make you stronger than you could ever know. Because creating the way wasn't his finished work. On the highway of holiness, the transformed disciple is pulled up by Jesus out of the wilderness, grasps his hand, and he says, follow me. Your Jesus says, follow me on the way of holiness. And then he says, streams of living water will flow into you. The spirit will be given to you. Straight into your heart regardless of how bad it is, of how the wilderness looks around you, you have a way through. So pick up your cross and follow. That's right, follow, not walk alone. He walks with you. And he puts a song in your heart. He gives you joy. That's what the people of God do. They sing. When they cross the Red Sea and all that is bad, they sing. When Mary looks at her life and how everything is going to come, she sings. And as you sit here today and as you have braved the fierce rains of Southern California, your heart is filled with song to sing to your Father. And those silent tongues become loosed to sing songs of joy, of freedom, of blessing feeble knees can walk alongside Jesus. Fearful hearts are filled with hope, with love, with courage.
the text today says that Advent season is about Christ coming to us and bringing us home. And I like that. I like coming home to our Lord Jesus. I think it's good to come home during Christmas time. So let's leap out of our seats. Let's shout and sing of the blessings and promises of our God that he himself gives us today. Because we are those who have been redeemed. We are those who walk in the way of our Lord.